Did you know that whenever you use a website, you give them permission to track what you do online? If you keep the tab open, they can see what you do and create a digital footprint of you. Well, with Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you never have to worry about downloading any risky files, but all of your web browsing will be protected, guaranteeing that you can search freely without leaving any digital footprint, and guaranteeing that you can't be tracked online. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today, and feel safe every day on your devices. Have you ever been travelling overseas, logged into your favourite streaming service, and realised, your favourite show isn't there? Different countries have different streaming rights, so just because you can watch Breaking Bad at home doesn't mean you can watch it overseas. Well, with Surfshark, you can. Surfshark is the VPN that I use every single day. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and get back to watching the favourite shows that I love. Use the link in the description or the episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan and get back to watching the shows that you love. Hello and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. A shotgun blast went off in his leg every time he put it down, and he thought, You're a fool. You're a damn fool. An awful idiot. An idiot. An awful idiot. A damn idiot. And a fool. A damn fool. Look at the mess. Where's the mop? Look at the mess. What do you do? Pride, damn it. And temper. And you've junked it all. At the very start, you vomit on everyone. And yourself. But everything at once. But everything. One on top of another. Beatty. The women. Mildred, Clarice. Everything. No excuse, though. No excuse. A fool. A damn fool. Go give yourself up. No. We'll save what we can. We'll do what there is left to do. And if we have to burn, let's take a few more with us. Here. He remembered the books and turned back, just on the off chance. He found a few books where he'd left them, near the garden fence. Mildred, God bless her, had missed a few. Four books still lay hidden where he had put them. Voices were wailing in the night, and flash beams swirled about. Other salamanders were roaring, their engines far away, and police sirens were cutting their way across town with their sirens. Montag took the four remaining books, and hopped, jolted, hopped his way down the alley, and suddenly fell as if his head had been cut off and only his body lay there. Something inside had jerked him to a halt and flopped him down. He lay where he had fallen and sobbed. His legs folded, his face pressed blindly to the gravel. Beady wanted to die. In the middle of the crying, Montag knew it for the truth. Beatty had wanted to die. He just stood there, not really trying to save himself, just stood there, joking, needling, thought Montag, and the thought was enough to stifle his sobbing and let him pause for air. How 
strange. Strange to want to die so much that you let a man walk around armed, and then, instead of shutting up and staying alive, you go on yelling at people and making fun of them until you get mad, and then... At a distance, running feet, Montag sat up. Let's get out of here. Come on, get up, get up. You can't just sit. But he was still crying, and that had to be finished. It was going away now. He hadn't wanted to kill anyone. Not even Beatty. His flesh gripped him, and shrank as if it had been plunged in acid. He gagged. He saw Beatty. A torch, not moving, fluttering out on the grass. He bit at his knuckles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Sorry. He tried to piece it all together. To go back to the normal pattern of life, a few short days ago, before the sieve and the sand. Denim's dentrifice, moth voices, fireflies, the alarms and excursions. Too much for a few short days. Too much indeed for a lifetime. Feet ran in the far end of the alley. Get up, he told himself. Damn it, get up, he said to the leg, and stood. The pains were spikes driven in the kneecap and then only darning needles, and then only common, ordinary safety pins. And after he had shagged along fifty more hops and jumps, filling his hand with silvers from the board fence, the prickling was like someone blowing a spray of scalding water on that leg. And the leg was at last his own leg again. He had been afraid that running might break the loose ankle. Now, sucking all the night into his mouth and blowing it out, pale, With all the blackness left heavily inside himself, he set out in a steady jogging pace. He carried the books in his hands. He thought of Faber. Faber was back there in the steaming lump of tar that had no name or identity now. He had burnt Faber too. He felt so suddenly shocked by this that he felt Faber was really dead, baked like a roach in that small green capsule, shoved and lost in the pocket of a man who was now nothing but a framed skeleton, strung with asphalt tendons. You must remember, burn them, or they burn you, he thought. Right now, it's as simple as that. He searched his pockets, and the money was there, and in his other pocket, he found the usual seashell upon which the city was talking to itself in the cold black morning. Police alert. Wanted. Fugitive in city. Has committed murder and crimes against the state. Name. Guy Montag. Occupation. Fireman. Last seen. He ran steadily for six blocks in the alley, and then the alley opened out onto a wide, empty thoroughfare ten lanes wide. It seemed like a boatless river, frozen there in the raw light of the high, white arc lamps. You could drown trying to cross it, he felt. It was too wide, too open. It was a vast stage without scenery, inviting him to run across, easily seen in the blazing illumination, easily caught, easily shot down. The seashell hummed in his ear. Watch for the man running. Watch for a man alone, on foot. Watch. Montag pulled back in the shadows. Directly ahead lay a gas station a great chunk of porcelain snow shining there, and two silver beetles pulling in to fill up. Now he must be clean and presentable if he wished to walk, not run. Stroll calmly across that wide boulevard, 
It would give him an extra margin of safety if he was washed up and combed his hair before he went on his way to get... Where? Yes, he thought. Where am I running? Nowhere. There was nowhere to go. No friend to turn to, really. Except... Faber. And then he realised that he was, indeed, running towards Faber's house, instinctively. But Faber couldn't hide him. It'd be suicide even to try. But he knew that he would go to see Faber anyway, for a few short minutes. Faber would be the place where he might refuel his fast-draining belief in his own ability to survive. He just wanted to know that there was a man like Faber in the world. He wanted to see the man alive, and not burned back there like a body shelled in another body. And some of the money must be left with Faber, of course, to be spent after Montag ran on his way. Perhaps he could make the open country, and live on or near the rivers, and near the highways, in the fields and hills. A great whirling whisper made him look to the sky. The police helicopters were rising so far away, it seemed someone had blown the grey head off a dry dandelion flower. Two dozen of them, flurried, wavering, indecisive, three miles off like butterflies, puzzled by autumn. And then they were plummeting down to land, one by one, here, there, softly kneading the streets, where, turned back to beetles, they shrieked along the boulevards, or, as suddenly, leapt back into the air, continuing their search. And here was the gas station, its attendants busy now with customers. Approaching from the rear, Montag entered the men's washroom. Through the aluminium wall, he heard a radio voice saying, War has been declared! The gas was being pumped outside. The men in the Beatles were talking, and the attendants were talking about the engines, the gas, the money owed. Montag stood, trying to make himself feel the shock of the quiet statement from the radio. But nothing would happen. The war would have to wait for him to come to it in his personal file. An hour, two hours from now. He washed his hands and face and toweled himself dry, making little sound. He came out of the washroom and shut the door carefully and walked into the darkness, and stood at last again on the edge of the empty boulevard. There it lay, a game for him to win, a vast bowling alley in the cool morning. The boulevard was as clean as the surface of an arena two minutes before the appearance of certain unnamed victims and certain unknown killers. The air over and above the vast concrete river trembled with the warmth of Montag's body alone, it was incredible how he felt his temperature could cause the whole immediate world to vibrate. He was a phosphorescent target. He knew it. He felt it. And now, he must begin his little walk. Three blocks away, a few headlights glared. Montag drew a deep breath. His lungs were like burning brooms in his chest. His mouth was sucked dry from the running. His throat tasted of bloody iron, and there was a rusted steel in his feet. What about those lights there? Once you started walking, you'd have to gauge how fast those beetles could make it down here. Well, how far is it to the other curb? It seemed like a hundred yards. Probably not a hundred, but figure that anyway. Figure that with him going very slowly, at a nice stroll, it might take as much as thirty seconds. Forty seconds! to walk all that way. The beetles, once they started, 
they could leave three blocks behind them in about 15 seconds. So, even if halfway across he started to run, he put his right foot out, and then his left foot, and then his right. He walked on the empty avenue. Even if the street were entirely empty, of course, you couldn't be sure of a safe crossing, for a car could appear suddenly over the rise four blocks further on, and beyond and past you before you had taken a dozen breaths. He decided not to count his steps. He looked neither left nor right. The light from the overhead lamps seemed as bright and revealing as the midday sun, and just as hot. He listened to the sound of the car picking up speed two blocks away on his right. Its movable headlights jerked back and forth suddenly, and caught at Montag. Keep going. Montag faltered, got a grip on the books, and forced himself not to freeze. Instinctively, he took a few quick running steps, and then talked out loud to himself, and he pulled up to a stroll again. He was now half across the street, but the roar from the Beatles engines whined higher as it put on speed. The police, of course, they see me. But slow now, slow, quiet. Don't turn, don't look. Don't seem concerned. Walk. That's it. Walk. Walk. The beetle was rushing. The beetle was roaring. The beetle raced its speed. The beetle was whining. The beetle was in high thunder. The beetle came skimming. The beetle came in a single whistling trajectory fired from an invisible rifle. It was up to 120 miles per hour. It was up to 130 at least. Montag clamped his jaws. The heat of the racing headlights burnt his cheeks, it seemed, and jittered his eyelids and flushed the sour sweat out all over his body. He began to shuffle idiotically and talk to himself. And then he broke and just ran. He put out his legs as far as they would go, and down, and then far out again, and down, and back, and out, and down, and back. God, God, he dropped a book, broke pace, almost turned, changed his mind, plunged on, yelling in concrete emptiness, the beetle scuttling after his running food. Two hundred, one hundred feet away, ninety, eighty, seventy, Montag gasping, flailing his hands, legs up, down, out, up, down, out, closer, closer, hooting, calling. His eyes burnt white now as his head jerked about to confront the flashing glare. Now the beetle was swallowed in its own light. Now it was nothing but a torch hurtling upon him. All sound. All blare. Now, almost on top of him. He stumbled and fell. I'm done. It's over. But the falling made a difference. An instant before reaching him, the wild beetle cut and swerved out. It was gone. Montag lay flat, his head down. Wisps of laughter trailed back to him with the blue exhausts from the beetle. His right hand was extended above him, flat. Across the extreme tip of his middle finger, he saw now, as he lifted that hand, a faint sixteenth of an inch of black tread where the tyre had touched in passing. He looked at that black line with disbelief, getting to his feet. That wasn't the police, he thought. He looked down the boulevard. It was clear now. A careful of children, all ages, God knew, from twelve to sixteen, out, whistling, yelling, hurrahing, had seen a man, a very extraordinary sight, 
a man strolling, a rarity, and simply said, Let's get him. Not knowing he was the fugitive, Mr. Montag, simply a number of children, out for a long night of roaring five or six hundred miles in a few moonlit hours, their faces icy with wind, and coming home, or not coming at dawn, alive or not alive. That made the adventure. They would have killed me, thought Montag, swaying, the air still torn and staring about him in dust, touching his bruised cheek. For no reason at all in the world, they would have killed me. He walked towards the far curb, telling each foot to go and keep going. Somehow, he had picked up the spilled books. He didn't remember bending or touching them. He kept moving them from hand to hand, as if they were a poker hand he could not figure. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He stopped, and his mind said it again, very loud. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He wanted to run after them, yelling. His eyes watered. The thing that had saved him was falling flat. The driver of that car, seeing Montag down, instinctively considered the probability that running over a body at such a high speed might turn the car upside down and spill them out. If Montag had remained an upright target... Montag gasped. Far down the boulevard, four blocks away, the beetle had slowed, spun about on two wheels, and was now racing back, slanting over the wrong side of the street, picking up speed. But Montag was gone, hidden in the safety of the dark alley for which he had set out on a long journey, an hour, or was it a minute ago? He stood shivering in the night looking back out as the beetle ran by and skidded back to the centre of the avenue, whirling laughter in the air all about it. Gone. Further on, as Montag moved in the darkness, he could see the helicopters falling, falling, like the first flakes of snow in a long winter to come. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.